Well, in recent years, we have seen both Kentucky and North Carolina go on deep NCAA tournament runs despite lower seeds. After both losing on Tuesday, does either program have a chance to do so this year? You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up? Welcome to the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Andy Patton, and this episode of Locked On College Basketball is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. All right. It is Wednesday. Thrilled to be joined here today by Leaf Tulin of the Locked On NBA Big Board and, of course, regular guest here on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Leaf, we saw North Carolina fall to Wake Forest on Tuesday evening on the road. We saw Kentucky lose at Rupp Arena to a good but unranked Arkansas team. Uh, it's two Blue Bloods who are now, quite honestly, inching closer and closer to not even being in the field of 68. However, we have seen both these programs do this before. We saw Hubert Davis in North Carolina do it last year. So I kind of want to start with them. This is a team that's now lost three games in a row. They're obviously having some issues figuring out how to put some of their pieces together. But again, Davis and co did this last year, got an eight seed, went all the way to the NCAA championship, lost to Kansas. Looking at this team this year, the pieces that they have, the you know the current stretch of games that they've played, is that a situation that you think is at all feasible for this team, or are you kind of starting to feel like, uh, I'm not even sure if this team's going to be able to make a run at all this year? Yeah, I think I'm somewhere in between those two mm-hmm. alternatives. I, I do think they'll make, they'll fight and claw their way into the tournament. Mm-hmm. I don't think they have the, the horsepower, despite mm-hmm. having a similar lineup to what they had when they made the run, mm-hmm. um, make a deep run, despite this year, I feel like being more wide open. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, issue is they they seem to lack chemistry yeah and that's something you really expected them to have a surplus of considering four of the five starters have started multiple years and started a national championship game mm-hmm. um, the backcourt has had this my turn your turn dynamic mm-hmm. um, and it's become uh i don't want to say contentious but mm-hmm. i can't imagine that it's easy to play alongside of for some of the players uh, Pete Nance was a heralded transfer who many people thought in a vacuum was a better player than Brady Manish just wasn't quite as good a fit. Mm-hmm. And I think he struggled uh, wearing Carolina blue so far. And there's a lot of kind of blame being tossed around. I'm not saying by the program internally, mm-hmm. but just you watch a broadcast of Carolina and, and everyone's got different perspectives of what's been wrong. And there mm-hmm. hasn't been too many perspectives of what's been right. And yeah. that concerns me that said, they're a veteran bunch and they have this, almost bravado that like I, I spoke about this with a friend of mine the other day about like the champions league soccer, like a team like Real Madrid, mm-hmm. they, even if they're not playing well, you're, you fear them. Yeah. I, I think that's the same thing uh, with Carolina and some of these blue bloods that they just expect to win. And I think that's something that really benefits a team come March madness. Even if they're an eight seed and they're playing the number one Baylor, like they did last year, mm-hmm. I don't think for a moment Carolina didn't think, Hey, we're, we're not expected to win. And, and they put that forth. So I, I think there is trouble in Chapel Hill, but I think there's a, a recipe to get into the tournament. I just don't think they're a championship contender. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think if I was a one seed or a two seed and I was facing number eight, nine or seven Carolina or whatever in the NCAA tournament, like you're not treating that the same way that you might treat uh, an opportunity to play like a, a nine seeded 
you know, Seton Hall who sneaks into the tournament and gets the seat like that. You know, like it's it's a different feeling. It's a different vibe because you know, they're the number one team in the country to start the season. And, and certainly they haven't lived up to those expectations, but still a really dangerous team. I'm curious before we switch to Kentucky, I'm curious on the North Carolina train, like with the backcourt kind of dysfunction for lack of a better word and the fact that these guys have played together and it's not like a a new group that you're trying to put the pieces together how much of that do you attribute to maybe a a younger coach or a a less experienced coach in Hubert Davis like do you think that that's an issue that that he needs to be able to address or is it just like these are just personalities that are, are making it a little bit tricky for this team to gel the way that maybe a lot of people thought they would I think it's certainly both. I think both those guards are, are big time players sure. individually, and they can be as a duo. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, I think managing the egos is something that coaches mm-hmm. get better at with age. Mm-hmm. And I think Hubert kind of caught lightning in a bottle of a program that was built by Roy, a team that mm-hmm. had te- uh, tempered expectations, but still had the hunger mm-hmm. and the like the knowledge of how to win that's instilled through the program had a good transfer to lead them and Brady Manic can be a mm-hmm. kind of a maturity, a sounding board, but I would lean towards the coach. Um, but also it's, it's individuals. There's a lot of teams that can sacrifice and, and have a, have a player take a lesser role for a player to take a larger role. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like these two have like alternated games and even like halves right. uh, and, and, and really have not found a way to mm-hmm. coalesce and create a impressive offense for for a team that should be able to score really really well they scored 25 in the first half yesterday and 60 in the second half and it was like okay like why why is there such a disparity between these two halves is is the desperation that lacking in the first half that you're so desperate to score and it's a little bit of garbage time scoring but but still mm-hmm. 60 points that's more than the, like than they would have scored if you combine their first two uh, first halves like, <laughs> right. so I, I don't know. I, I think it's it's mostly coaching. I lean towards mm-hmm. coaching, but I think there's something to be said for uh, the players not kind of bargaining from their mm-hmm. movements, so to speak, of like, okay, well, I'm supposed to score 15 a game. I'm supposed to score 17 a game. Um, and if they're not at that, I feel like they they start chucking the ball a little too often. Let's switch over to Kentucky. Kentucky obviously lost a home game to Arkansas. It's not probably not as bad of a loss as Wake Forest, just in the sense that Arkansas is a better team, a team that's been ranked for huge chunks of the season that obviously has dealt with pretty significant injuries uh, on on their squad that's kind of hampered their their expectations this season, but still a really solid squad. What I saw in this Kentucky-Arkansas game was a pretty well-played, a pretty balanced first half, and then both teams went in the halftime, both teams made adjustments, or at least should have made adjustments. Uh, Eric Musselman and the Razorbacks came out and just went on a really monstrous run. I think Calipari called a timeout less than 90 seconds into the second half. Uh, and it kind of never really got closer than that. And, and we've talked on this podcast a handful of times about Coach Calipari and, and some of the decisions that he has made as a coach this year and how it has hampered and, and held back this Kentucky roster in, in some ways. Kentucky's looking at a, at a team right now. They got one really big game left. They're playing Tennessee on the 18th. That's a huge chance for a marquee win for Cal, a, a really needed win but the rest of their schedule is not great and they're kind of right on the bubble so i mean forget talking about going on a run like first of all do you think this team's even going to be able to to find themselves in the big dance come march uh, i do think they'll make the big dance i, I actually didn't have too much too many issues watching kentucky yesterday i, mm-hmm. I thought they played pretty well arkansas just played very well they mm-hmm. shot 63 percent from the field and so yes you yeah. can say kentucky can play de- better defense than they could but mm-hmm. that first half in particular, I thought Kentucky was playing some of their better yeah. basketball of the year. And so mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that this is a Kentucky team that you you dread, mm-hmm. uh, you're dread facing. But I do think 
that this team will make the tournament. And I think this is more of a statement of how good Arkansas is if they could hit shots. Mm -hmm. um, they only shot nine threes, which sometimes they get baited into shooting a lot. So they went four of nine, which is significantly better than they shoot. Like right. they, they shoot terribly most of the time. They were able to crack the paint and get good shots. Anthony Black was really good. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, I thought Case and Wallace was pretty awesome. So for, from a draft perspective, I was watching that game and I was like, man, if those two can play like that, these teams are significantly different. Their ceilings are super high. And uh, so I, I do think Kentucky gets in. I think they're playing better basketball right now than North Carolina. Mm -hmm. The question is, you, you mentioned it, they don't play that many good teams left. They've already mm -hmm. beaten Tennessee, so they, do they need to beat them twice to get a significant win? Do mm -hmm. they need to perform well in the SEC tournament mm -hmm. to really secure their standing as a, a team on the right side of the bubble as an at-large bid? Um, and then the other, the other question would be, if you're to compare North Carolina and Kentucky, which team do you trust more, the team with veterans or the team that's starting to coalesce? And right. I would typically say veterans. That said, I think Kentucky's playing better basketball right now against mm -hmm. better competition. So I think they'd they'd finish the year well against somewhat inferior. Now they're they're seven and four in conference play, so I I do like their chances to get in the tournament. The next four games for Kentucky at Georgia, at Mississippi State, they got the big home game against Tennessee, and then they got a road trip to Florida. It's tough because those are three you know road games in the SEC, never easy necessarily, but feels to me like they they, they probably don't have to win all four, but they kind of probably win three. And if they lose to Tennessee, they they really have to win the rest of those those games there, I think. And yeah, it's tough because you're not necessarily getting opportunities to pick up big wins, but you've got games that are nece aren't necessarily going to be super easy to win, but you kind of have to if you want a chance of, of, of making the big dance. All right, Leaf, we saw Indiana defeat Rutgers on Tuesday, which means eight teams. Eight teams are within one game of each other in the Big Ten standings. Is anybody going to step out of that group? We're going to talk about that in the second segment. But first, today's episode of Locked On College Basketball is brought to you by FanDuel. The Super Bowl is here, and we are so excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sports book in America, FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that is even better. They have so many great features that make sports betting fun and easy. New customers can join today to get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to the point spreads to player props. Plus, you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay. We'll have a few upset picks for you later in the show. Take them or leave them. But either way, you can bet comfortably on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So basketball fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, at FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on college basketball, still here chatting with Leif, Leif Tulin of the Locked On NBA Big Board. Uh, Leif, I want to switch over to talk about the Big Ten a little bit. Uh, Tuesday night, obviously, we saw a big victory for the Hoosiers of Indiana, picked up a nice win over Rutgers. They are now 8-5 and five in league play. Uh, and before we talk about the Big Ten and the standings and basically who is going to be behind Purdue when the season finalizes, I want to talk a little bit about Trace Jackson Davis because he had another monstrous performance against Rutgers. We talked about Indiana last week and it was kind of a, hey, is anybody going to step up and help TJD? And, and we've seen some guys kind of do so. And we saw some nice performances this last week. But we've also seen Trace Jackson Davis on a just historic run. He crossed 2000 points at Indiana. He's averaging more points, more rebounds, more assists and more blocks than he has throughout his career. Uh, really, really nice season from TJD. What have you seen from him this year? 
I think there's an air of maturity around him mm-hmm. where, where he always had the physical capacity to dominate a game and he showed flashes of it. But I think he's doing it from an intellectual perspective and put it together mm-hmm. that he knows the spots that really help his team. Not only does he score the ball and rebound the ball, those were givens. It's almost mm-hmm. like Oscar Shiba. You could When he plays mm-hmm. enough minutes, he's going to get a double-double. Yep. It's the same idea. But he's put himself in situations where he's on the block and he can kick out and start the rotations um, that have made Indiana better defensively he's anchored their defense and really become a very good rim protector. And I've also seen him um, just been be a uh, person who brings reason to their team. Mm-hmm. There's been times where, where Purdue made a storm and they didn't even call a timeout. It was just uh, Chase Jackson Davis kind of said, let's slow it up. And then he went and got a bucket and that really righted the ship. Mm-hmm. So I, I think what's made Indiana better is their team's better. They've stuck together. Um, they have a dynamic playmaker in the backcourt in Jalen Hood Shafino. Is his consistency is a question. Sure. But the consistency of Trace Jackson Davis and the maturity, the leadership is really what has propelled Indiana up the Big Ten standings from a team that was talented but not playing well. And then they almost had an addition by subtraction. Xavier Johnson, I felt like took the ball away from TJD and then mm-hmm. through playing uh playing through TJD has allowed for guys um like Miller Cop, like Galloway mm-hmm. um, and race Thompson coming back in. He's also a veteran. Um, right. I think they've all benefited from the presence of the man in the interior. And mm-hmm. then trace Jackson Davis, it's a symbiotic relationship. He benefits from when they right. hit the shots. Cause he's got less, uh, less bodies to work through in the, in the rugged big 10 post battles. Mm-hmm. So, he, I mean, he's going to be an all American at this rate. Mm-hmm. And the question is how good can Indiana be? And I think that really relies on how well they can shoot the three consistently. And if TJD continues to play this well, they should be able to shoot the three okay because he's drawing a ton of attention. Let's talk about the Big Ten a little bit, and let's talk about kind of Indiana's place there. Purdue's got a three-game lead over everybody. I don't think that anybody's catching Purdue unless they have a a, a historic meltdown. But after that, it gets really jumbled. Indiana and Rutgers are now tied for second place thanks to Indiana's victory on Tuesday night. They're three games back. Iowa, Northwestern, Michigan, and Illinois are all a half game back from Indiana and Rutgers, and then Michigan State and Maryland are a half game back on that. So basically everybody's within one game of each other uh, outside of the few bottom feeders towards the end of the conference there. Uh, I don't think anybody's catching Purdue, like we said. I don't think we even have to discuss that. But do you think there's going to be anybody else in this group who's going to get any separation, or, or is there a team that stands out to you as like, yeah, that's definitely the second best team. They just haven't don't quite have the record yet. I'd say the second and third best teams are Indiana and Illinois. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's a pretty clear-cut delineation that mm-hmm. no matter where they match up, they have the talent to yeah. uh, to win. Mm-hmm. I mean, that includes against Purdue. Uh, Purdue's the favorite in those matchups, but uh, but I think they've got the talent. Indiana's yeah. playing the best right now outside of Purdue, but I think it's it's just hard to be so reliant on one player and then mm-hmm. a freshman as their number two. So I, right. I, I wouldn't put them as a definitive number two. I've said this before, maybe this is just me sticking with my old ways, but I thought Illinois was the most talented team on paper Mm -hmm. coming into the season. Uh, I just watched them play Iowa at Iowa, and I thought Illinois was the better team, even though they lost by two in that game. Mm -hmm. And so I would say it's Purdue, Indiana, Illinois. Take your pick at two and three there. Mm -hmm. And then for four, I I struggle to continue giving it to Rutgers. Rutgers has this way of of winning at home. They they really like – squeeze the sponge dry and, and, and you're, you're sitting there and you're like, okay, can, 
can we score and how many can they score? So a team like Iowa is going to beat Rutgers. In fact, they have beaten them twice mm-hmm. because they just score prolifically. And, mm-hmm. he, and then the offense in that case is going to beat the defense because the offense is lagging so far behind for Rutgers. Not to mention they lost Mawat Mog for the season to a torn ACL. Um, so I would say that Iowa will finish top four. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I, I think that, that you can make a strong case for Iowa – uh, Michigan State and Michigan. Maryland has played very well, but they haven't played terribly good competition, and a lot of their games recently have been at home for their mm-hmm. surge up the standings. So I, I would pick, I would say Purdue, Indiana, Illinois, and Iowa would be my top four. Mm-hmm. That said, Iowa has flaws. We've seen this year in, year out. They score really well. But I think I think this year they're fairly balanced, and they're going to be able to score, protect their home court, maybe sneak a few road wins. And that's the thing. Other than Purdue, no team – and Northwestern actually does have a positive away record, but I don't know how much of it is in conference. Like Indiana's three and five away. Rutgers is two and five away. Illinois is three and three. Northwestern's mm-hmm. five and two. Iowa's two and four. Maryland, two and six. Michigan State, two and six. Like you're not going to win on the road. So it's just protecting home court. And those yeah. are the teams I think will do so best and be able to maybe sneak a few on the road, which is the that's what wins you those conferences. And that you're not going to catch Purdue, but but that's what's going to get you second in the conference is who can win the most road games. Well, the Big Ten's uh, struggles in the NCAA tournament have been well, well documented uh, over recent years. Uh, Lenardi's least recent bracket at ESPN has eight teams from the Big Ten in the big dance. Uh, again, kind of taking Purdue out of it because they're going to get a higher seed. Certainly they are not impervious to getting upset early. That could could very well happen to them. But uh, among the other, if, if the Big Ten does have a good year conference-wise in the NCAA tournament, if they finally kind of turn the tide, what teams, and you maybe already mentioned them a little bit there, like what teams do you think have the best chance to make it to a Sweet 16, make it to Elite Eight, really kind of help help change that reputation for the Big Ten? Yeah, this becomes an interesting question because it depends where they're seated. And I think they, sure. they beat up on each other so much that mm-hmm. none of these teams are going to be extremely well seated. So uh, outside of Purdue, that is. Mm-hmm. So I think Purdue is the mo- most obvious candidate. Mm-hmm. I would say Indiana is the second most likely candidate just because mm-hmm. I think their seed line will be uh, beneficial. I think if they get, you know, a five seed, that there's a there's a legitimate possibility you get to the Sweet 16. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think Illinois has the potential to be very dangerous because they switch a lot of screens. They have sure. multiple scores. I don't love their guard play, especially with Sky Clark leaving the team. I think he was mm-hmm. a true point guard. Young, made mistakes, but at least he was unselfish in that regard. I think they're kind of patchwork in the backcourt right now, but that's a tough team to match up with. And I think a team like Michigan State will be an eight seed. So it's always hard to pick like an eight one upset. But mm-hmm. I'm telling you, no one seed wants to face Tom Izzo. No. I, I can promise you that. And then uh, I think Michigan will will end up in a similar spot to the, where they were last year as a, a 10 or 11. And despite being the underdog, so to speak, in round one, the 10 and 11 is a good spot to make a, a, make a dent into the tournament sure. just because yeah. – They've got the offensive talent, and I believe defensively they can coalesce and become better. Um, like, for instance, their worst defender in their starting lineup is Jet Howard, who's their mm-hmm. best prospect. Right. And I just believe that in games that they, you must win, that those type of players can turn it on. Mm-hmm. So those are the teams I kind of foresee making a dent in madness. Uh, that said, I think the the battle of attrition that is the Big Ten Conference mm-hmm. really – hurts them in yeah. the tournament. I think this has been the case. They simil- they typically play a similar style. And so when teams play a different style and these teams are all beat up and they're lower seeds than they would be if they played in different conferences, it actually hurts them. The Big 12 is mm-hmm. going to have a lower seeds for all these awesome teams. 
but I think because they play different styles, um, like I would say Baylor plays an entirely different style than that of uh, a team like Kansas state. Right. Or they, I guess they play quickly because they, they both play quickly, but uh, you, you get my point that they mm-hmm. have different personnel types. Sure. Um, that helps the big 12. And that's why they're able to make big tournament runs despite mm-hmm. a significant battle of, of attrition in their conference stand. Well, we got upset watch coming up next leaf. I'm very excited to, to have opportunity to look at a few upsets coming up this weekend. Uh, it felt to me like there wasn't a lot of great picks this week, and perhaps that's just because the the nature of how the schedule kind of laid, laid out a lot of uh, teams that maybe could get upset by the team they're playing, but they're playing at home, and it's hard to pick them to lose at home. Uh, so I'm going to start with the one upset, the first upset that I have uh, on my rankings, uh, and it's a technically the way that we have typically done upset watch in the past for those who are new to the show listening uh, is we pick a unranked team to beat a ranked team. So in this situation, I'm picking an upset that is actually not an upset by FanDuel Sportsbook right now. This game is happening on Wednesday evening. Utah State taking on number 25 ranked San Diego State uh, and Mountain West battle right there. Currently, according to the FanDuel odds, Utah State is favored by one and a half points because they are at home. The Aggies are 11 and one. At home on the season, they have not lost there very much this year. As a team, they're shooting 42% from deep. Uh, the issues for Utah State are on the defensive end of the floor. I think they're outside of the top 125 in Ken Palm defensively. Meanwhile, San Diego State is a top 50 team, both offensively and defensively. So a little bit less of a balance there specifically. But for me, Utah State has has continually impressed me as one of the better teams in the Mountain West, a team that I'm, I'm not sure has quite gotten as much respect nationally as perhaps they deserve. Deserve a win over a ranked team in San Diego State, even if they are the favored team, uh, would turn the tides a little bit in the Mountain West, kind of maybe bring them back into that bubble conversation that they've kind of been floating around throughout the regular season. So uh, again, depending on your definition of an upset, this game maybe doesn't qualify. But for me, uh, I think there's a good chance that San Diego State falls on the road to Utah State and, and the Aggies pick up a nice win there. Yeah, that's one I had as well. I think that's a good chance for a team that's really good offensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a couple big 10 ones. Uh, mm-hmm. One of them is a kind of bottom dwellers facing mm-hmm. off. I, I've got Nebraska beating Wisconsin okay. uh, yeah. at Nebraska. So that one, that one's a, just a bottom dweller one, but here's a ranked one. Mm-hmm. I've got Illinois beating Rutgers. Okay. And, and I'd imagine that'll be close to a pick. maybe even Illinois favor. That's, that's a mm-hmm. little bit down the road. I, like I mentioned, I think they're the more talented team. But also Rutgers is a little bit hurt, and th- that's a team like in Illinois that can score. And mm-hmm. I think the teams that can score do better against a team like Rutgers. So I think that's a that's a pretty decent one. And then mm-hmm. back to you. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that one as well. I, I think uh, Illinois is definitely a team that that Rutgers, especially with the injuries that they've been having lately, and like you mentioned the. The teams that score a lot of points tend to tend to do good against them. So that'll be an interesting matchup there. Uh, the next one I have staying on the West Coast for me uh, going over to Saturday, 7 p.m. on ESPN, February 11th, Oregon hosting UCLA top 10 team in the Bruins. Uh, Oregon is fighting for their lives right now. They are still kind of in that in that bubble conversation. The latest from Lenardi had them as a first four out. Uh, they've had some big wins they had the win over arizona that really has helped their their resume quite a bit that was also at home for them uh they've also had some pretty ugly losses scored 41 points against colorado in the game recently lost to stanford not that long ago so a team that has kind of had a, a as many pac-12 teams tend to do has a kind of mystifying resume with some big wins and some horrendous losses uh so for oregon like they got usc on thursday they got ucla on saturday 
they cannot lose both of them. They even losing one of them is tough. It's tough. If they can beat UCLA and I see some matchup reasons why it could happen. Oregon has finally gotten healthy. That's the biggest story for them right now. Keyshawn Bartholomew is back. He's been missed most of the year with an injury transfer out of Colorado, really, really talented point guard for them. Uh, and then Jermaine Cousinard was hurt for a huge chunk of the season. He came back. He dropped 27 points in that win over Arizona, had a monstrous performance there. He's a South Carolina transfer as well. So Dana Altman finally getting kind of the pieces all lined up together here. Uh, I think UCLA is the more talented team. I don't think that that's particularly debatable but i think that oregon has some horses nefali dante very very good post player for them if will richardson can play some consistent basketball which has not been the case really for him this year but if he comes out if he plays well if he can help neutralize tiger campbell a little bit on the other end i think there's an opportunity for oregon at matt knight arena in eugene on saturday to pull off a really really big victory for them potentially knock ucla down a seed uh, and put oregon back in the driver's seat for a spot in the ncaa tournament yeah, I think I think the bubble is such a such a motivator for some yes. of these teams. And, mm-hmm. and Oregon's one where their talent is far superior to where with the product that's been on the floor. Sure. Mm-hmm. But now the the talent's catching up with some of those players coming back. Uh, I've got I've got two more mm-hmm. that I, I'm not fully confident in, but I think talent has has a way of seeping through. And that, that's another one. Michigan mm-hmm. squarely on the bubble right now. Yep. I could see them beating Indiana in the mm-hmm. Chrysler Center, yep. playing at home. They've got a big to neutralize or at least mm-hmm. match or try to match what TJD mm-hmm. does. We talked about how awesome he's been. Hunter Dickinson hasn't been too shabby himself. Mm-hmm. They've got the offensive talent. Uh, defensively, I think they're starting to play a bit better. You saw that display against Ohio State recently. Mm-hmm. They can defend home court. And one more, this one I'm not as confident in, in but I, I got to say the Big 12 is pretty difficult to win on the road. Yeah. When the Morgantown, West Virginia is not a friendly place. Iowa State's significantly better at home. So mm-hmm. they travel to West Virginia, and I think West Virginia could give Iowa State a shot for their money. Uh, West Virginia is really starting to pick it up. Bob Huggins has found his personnel and, mm-hmm. and how to play with that personnel. Eric Stevenson has been really impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, curious to see how they score against a really staunch Iowa State defense. But yeah. playing at home uh, and playing with, with confidence is always a good thing for West Virginia. So those are the ones that I, I can see as feasible upsets. And hopefully we, we replicate last week where I think that between us, we went five for five. Five for five, and that included the number one team in the country going down. We we had Indiana beating Purdue, and then that one that one came together. So and, and number two Tennessee. I, I yep. said it off air right. to Andy, but he can verify this is a true. This is a true <laughs> sense. True, that is true. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Leaf, thank you so much. Always appreciate your insight. Always appreciate having you on the show. Uh, fantastic as always. Looking forward to another really really exciting week of college basketball next week. Perhaps we'll have uh, a little bit more separation in the Big Ten to chat about. But again, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Of course, it's a pleasure.